Why did my father die in that locked room? Why do you never get any older, Shadwell? And what is the secret of the living dead? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IWMP podcast for your dose of nostalgia, media criticism, and misuse of parental authority. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad, he's my son, and I've gone back to making him watch movies for this week. Spooky, scary movies, because it is the season of such things. That's right. Last time we talked about something in the spooky category, the Adams Family, also creepy and kooky, I'm given to believe. And this week, we're going into something I would say is more in the scary category, or at least is trying to be more in the scary category, and I think succeeds in, on some levels. It's trying to be, and it is definitely full of some oddness and some some disturbing elements, and that is a thing to be upfront about here. Uh, yeah, before we say anything else, you're right. The movie we are going to talk about this time around does involve suicide. It's an integral part of the plot, so there's no way to avoid mentioning it. If that's a troubling subject for you, please uh, consider not listening. Consider listening to another episode of our podcast or another fine podcast. Um, I just didn't. We don't want to surprise anybody with that subject matter, so wanted to get that out of the way. Thanks for mentioning that, Ian. No problem. And um, and I. So about this movie, I don't know that it necessarily succeeds in being scary, but it might. It definitely succeeds in being weird, both in the just colloquial sense of bizarre, but also in the kind of literary genre of weird fiction like H.P. Lovecraft and um, you know, Lord Dunsany and, and all kinds of early 20th century weirdness. This is something that is on that kind of wavelength of, I almost want to call it science fiction, but it's pseudoscience fiction in that sense. Not oh. because it's not, it's not, it's not science fiction because it's, it's more, it's science fiction structure of pose a question, see the res reaction of, of existence, but with a pseudoscience instead of an actual science. I guess, man, I never thought of that, but I guess process wise, you could call this akin to science fiction, but nobody's claiming any science here. That's all magic. But you're right, they take some of the characters take at least a kind of scientific approach in that they've got hypothesis test and they then go to replicate it once they get the apparent result. Interesting. And We've done all of this talk already and we haven't said the name of the movie. We haven't and we should, and I will in a moment, but that's partly because the name is just so meaningless in some ways the name of this movie is psychomania fire up your random name generators because this is just two things unrelated to each other or the plot slammed into each other name wise yeah it's like the most generic horror movie name you can think of and yeah that's this qualifies as a horror movie psychomania it's like depending on what you mean is this 
does it mean mind crazy or if it's psycho in the sense of you know as short for psychopath is it crazy crazy <laughs> what does this t- title mean at least the 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 movie is best known as psychomania it is also known as the death wheelers and at least that means something and tells you something about the movie it does that actually has some context and somehow it feels even more generic in a weird way i don't know how now but in this in order to qualify for the intermillennium media project standard episode not one where you take over this has to be a movie or a tv show or something that i experienced in my youth that made some kind of impression on me and i really do want to know what in the world this is there are ways in which you can think of this as a distinctly three generational intermillennium media project entry what because my first introduction to this movie was seeing the last 10 minutes or so when my dad was watching it it was early on a sunday i can picture the scene because it made such an impression on me early on a sunday evening he was watching it on some local tv station and i came into the room with a gi joe or something i was playing i was had to be like you know 11 or 12 maybe and i see the last 10 minutes of this movie and i am just riveted and bewildered at what i am seeing and i never put it together and then later on when i was a little bit older i started remembering this movie and seeking it out and eventually i found it and watched it and this was you know a few years later when i found it and yeah, it made an impression on me then too, and it seemed at the that it was really scary, and but more than scary, it was weird, and I think that this movie may be what then led me to be so receptive when I discovered H.P. Lovecraft and Robert Bloch and a lot of other writers of weird fiction, because this is, has a lot in common with them. I can get that, but at the same time, like this film, that fills me with more questions. <laughs> like, were you happy when you found this movie, or not? And why was Pop-Pop watching this? Why would he pick out this movie? This is honestly something I would have expected to find on MST3K, in terms of both era, film quality, and bizarreness. So the fact that this was looked for as its own piece of media actively is actually somehow more confusing. <laughs> like I said, it was shown on a, on a local TV station. This was when there wasn't a, weren't a whole lot of options for what to watch on TV. No VCRs or anything at the time. And it must have been not many years after this movie was released. It must have been sometime in the mid to late 70s. And this movie was released in 1973. So it was probably you know the big get for some local TV station. This, this new horror movie we get to show. And you know, my dad was not averse to horror movies. I wouldn't say he was a horror movie fan, but he could enjoy them. And uh, and yeah, I get, he, he seemed riveted by this, too. He was really you know, watching it very, very intently to the end, as I recall. So, um, so yeah, this may have been his kind of thing, too. But, uh, but that, it's, 
it it made an impression on me partly because I saw those last 10 minutes and then partly because my dad was watching it with such interest. Oh my I don't know how to process this. This is kind of <laughs> throwing me for a loop. I mean, this movie does not have a lot of plot to follow, it, but it also has plenty to keep someone interested. So I can, I can understand. It's not, I, I don't want to spoil my opinions of this movie for the ending bits early. So I'm going to have to hold my tongue as to my response to learning this origin story in that sense. Yeah. And I think the, the mystery elements that you alluded to earlier also were, were a draw for my dad. That definitely helps. It's, it is a mystery that goes into how it's happening, and then it's a how does this get resolved kind of mystery, but it's also a a mystery of concepts in that sense, right. because it puts together things that get partially linked together by the end. Well, we don't normally do this, but I think that the, the Wikipedia summary of the <laughs> plot to this movie does a great job of capturing this, both the, the the premise, it doesn't give you the whole plot to the end, but also giving you the tone of this movie. So I, like I say, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to read the Wikipedia a summary of the plot. Tom Latham, an amiable psychopath and the leader of a violent teen gang, enjoys riding his motorcycle with his girlfriend and loves his mother. <laughs> Okay, just it, pause there. That first line. That first line is full of so much. Amiable psychopath who loves his mother. It summarizes that character so well. Yes, but the fact that that's who we follow. His gang dabble in black magic and call themselves the living dead. Apt. In a similar vein, his mother and her sinister butler, Shadwell, get their kicks out of holding seances in their home. With her help... And following in his father's footsteps, Tom returns from the dead. One by one, he and his fellow bikers commit suicide with the goal of returning as one of the undead. One of them fails, but the ones who do return gather together at a secret place called the Seven Witches, a circle of standing stones, after which they continue to terrorize the locals. That uh, that gives you the setup of the premise pretty darn well. They le- leaves out some details we need to talk about, but but yeah, it's bikers coming back from the dead to terrorize locals. This is less the fast and the furious and more the undead and the unsupervised. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it it's it is simultaneously like a tiny bit satanic panic and a a good chunk of like motorcycle gang uh bike action stunts kind of thing all in one it's got this weird blend there Mm -hmm. they do a good job of giving us some of the that background setup but doing it in a way where the reveals are all interesting and and compelling to watch we learn that um this particular kind of frog is very important to this family tom and his mom and their butler and they've got these protective medallions that have the image of this frog on it. And the frog is only found in cemeteries and can live to be hundreds of years old, apparently. But also, there's this frog god <laughs> that they worship and have made deals with. 
And Tom, when he goes into the locked room that was in the house that was somehow responsible for his father's death, he sees in this mirror a scene from when he was an infant, and apparently his mom offering him up to Satan or some other demonic power in exchange for some power for herself. And... That doesn't play in as much as it should, though. No, but apparently that's part of where how this power hap, uh, 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 is given to Tom, because he's part of this deal. And, you know, I'm thinking back to law school, and you can't bind non-parties, and Tom never agreed to this, so how is he bound up in this? But, I don't know. I guess he accepts performance later on. I'm sorry, this is turning into a weird law review article, but... Uh, that's a bonus episode of some form or the other, just like, <laughs> you know, Matt... Matt sits down and discusses contract law about uh, TV and movies for like half an hour at a time. A legal analysis of the contract law in Psychomania. <laughs> Where can I get that published? There's got to be some law review out there that has a Halloween edition. Oh, yeah. You could probably find, find one of those. But, um, but yeah, Tom finds out that he's heir to this contract with the devil. And he also learns from his mom... And who tells him with some hesitation that apparently it's it's relatively easy to become a member of the undead. All you have to do is, when you die, absolutely, com- with complete, utter conviction, believe you are going to come back. Believe you are coming going to come back with such certainty that you want to die so that you can then come back. There's almost a like, a like a a Yu-Gi-Oh or just another like Saturday morning anime kind of level of, you know, sheer willpower and friendship will save the day. But instead, it's you replace friendship with Satan and the day with our chance to be menaces. <laughs> so yeah, this plan appeals to Tom because he and his gang, the Living Dead, uh, which includes his girlfriend Abby. And I'd like to point out they had this entire motif before they learned they could be zombies. This whole skull and bones of the living dead, code names and theming and going to the witch's circle. They knew they had this whole like IP brand for themselves, well established and well put into the community mindset before they became invincible zombies. Yeah, they were really death obsessed goth kids, although it was a very mod English kind of goth in that they favored tight leather pants. Tom, at least, favored tight leather pants and turtlenecks and his biker jacket. But some of them had colorful jackets, uh, but they all had the the skull and crossbones painted on their uh, their helmets. But yeah, they were, they were very death-obsessed from the beginning. Chrome spike instead of black lace goth. There you go. Yeah, I think that's right. And um, life and death apparently were cheap to them. They were into um, public disturbances and assault. And it's a little ambiguous, but I think casual homicide as well. Yeah, they were. That that was a zero to 60 in such a way that you assume the starting point might not have been zero. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't like the look of somebody who's driving around. So they run him off the road in an apparently fatal accident. I'm not certain about that, but. Yeah. As far as they were concerned, that was what they were aiming for. Yeah, that was... Hmm. So, um, so yeah, Tom takes to this plan and organizes his gang into this run of kind of terrorizing people at a 
shopping plaza by driving around and knocking things over and then tearing off down the highway at really high speed uh, to get away from the cops. And then Tom drives off a bridge. Yeah. And kind of like, he told everyone beforehand, but it was so casual that it kind of confuses everyone. And it, no, don't. Wait, what? You weren't just kind of spouting your normal nonsense? <laughs> kind of way. And definitely, that's a moment where you can see that this is not a movie with a large budget because it paces itself to like milk every bit of this market scene it can. Yeah, they they some of these scenes went on far far longer than they needed to for us to get the point. Also, there's some very fun obvious moments of like actual safety in the terrorizing stunts with like the guy on the ladder that falls into the pile of conveniently there empty boxes and pillows. Right. Yeah, he happened to be changing the light bulb at the top of a ladder next to the pillow shipment. Yeah, it's like okay. That's fun. And Tom when he drives off the bridge, it's it's kind of well shot. It's kind of dramatic. It looks like an extremely, extremely survivable crash. Uh, I don't know how his, he gets his motorcycle back, because that falls into the water as well. But uh, it seems like a pretty survivable crash, which is why I think they need to cut to two little kids on the riverbank. And one of them <laughs> very, very calmly points to her little brother saying, Hey, look! At the dead body on the bank. Yeah, a little, a little bit more excitement at seeing that, and we would have had uh, Wednesday Adams and Pugsley like being the two kids there with the absolute casual nature in which they approach a corpse. Right. It could have been, "Hey, look, a puppy." Instead, it's, "Hey, look, a dead biker." <laughs> but you know, it's England in the seventies. Maybe they were looking for excitement. I don't know. That, that, yeah. Mm. So. So yeah, Tom is dead. His mother is is distraught. His friends are distraught, and then his friends decide that they want to um, they want to bury Tom in their own way. So they bury him at the seven sister, the seven witches. Excuse me, the seven witches, which is the uh, the local circle of standing stones. So you see, you get into like the um, the English folk horror kind of things as well, because standing stones are an important thing, and they bury him in this relatively shallow grave and he is in his living dead colors and helmet and on his motorcycle upright in this grave and his head and shoulders at least are sticking up out of the grave so when they finally quote-unquote bury him it's really just this probably is this pile of dirt that is not going to keep local wildlife away from him. Yeah, I mean, it is actually, like, it very much feels like they were in the middle of doing this, and they got tired and decided, uh, eh, it's deep enough. Right. There's something about that. And between the fact that it's this oddly shallow grave, and the very, very prolonged song in memoriam to him. And the world never knew his name, but the chosen few know of his fame. Which involves the strange, strange contradiction of the chosen funum of his fame as a repeated line. Which, no, that's not fame then. That is, in <laughs> fact, a small number of people know of you. Yeah. The, um, the, the world never knew his name, but a chosen few knew of his fame. And, oh, and apparently these bikers were into folk music, not rock or, or anything 
harder. But yeah, I wondered about that. It's not, I don't know, you know, how fame works. Um, 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 or hey, Jim, was there, there was a book or something called Secretly Famous, and that reminds me of that. Like, hey, Jimmy, if you'd actually spent A, more time on your song, or B, just helped us dig, this would have all gone better. <laughs> so, so yeah, Tom is dead. And again, it could have been a short movie, could stop there, but no. Um, I'm just imagining what the jump to credits right then would have been like. This <laughs> is kind of like, you can be immortal if you believe in it. Some... Well, I guess he didn't believe in it. Someday we're going to have to release a uh, a whole series of shorter and possibly better movies from the IWMP. <laughs> yes. You know, the, the short version. Uh, there's another movie that we'll be talking about soon where, you know, there's a, a short version. You could end it early and it's <laughs> short and depressing. And then there's this. Oh, yeah. Usually it's like when somebody dies. Okay, that's the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, Any time a main protagonist dies, you can... Actually, he's more of a main ag- antagonist. I guess, yeah. I well, guess. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, like anytime one of them dies or is severely incapacitated, you could just cut right there and have fun with it. <laughs> so, as you can imagine, Tom doesn't stay dead. No, we get this really cool scene of like I forget why they pull over. It's like tire goes flat or something, and they yeah. pull over, and then the, the the random victim couple on the side of the road, their the car gets a flat, and he has to walk to the service station, and he witnesses as there's this like odd sound as Tom fires up his motorcycle under the dirt and blasts out of his own grave, with a really cool action scene. And some very odd sound choices. I mean, I get that they're trying to, like, play the sounds of this thing blowing the dirt out of its engines, but there's something that just feels anticlimactic about this kind of beleaguered engine <laughs> as it as he pops out. I want it to have something like the uh, Super Mario Maker woo! sound of when, when one of the launchers fires. <laughs> so Tom is back. Tom is back. And his motorcycle is, and apparently it still runs after being um, dropped into a river and buried. Yeah, that thing's going to need some servicing. Oh, and he's apparently, apparently returning from the dead, like, multiplies your murderist instincts by a large percentage. No, I don't know. About, I think Tom always had the murderous instincts. The being uh, uh, undead just gives him free reign to indulge them. I, yeah, there's an there's an apathy to those who are still alive, right? That he, is like given to the dead. He was never the most you know empathetic or socially conscious person in the first place, and now he's got none of that. So he's going around killing people just for convenience, you know. He doesn't want to pay his bar tab, so he kills somebody. Well, he's not buried with his wallet, and that's one of the that is almost the funniest thing of him like having this realization <laughs> as he goes to get gas, like. Yeah, they wouldn't bury me with that, would they? Oh, well. And it just kills the guy for the gas, kills the people because he doesn't want to pay his bar tab. Now, the ancient Egyptians would have handled that better. Yeah, they'd bury him with his motorcycle, but they would have given him some gas and maybe a a few bottles of beer as well. (laughs) Yes. Yes, they would have. (laughs) Now, I'm just imagining, like, driving a motorcycle into the afterlife would just be kind of a freaky thing. So now there are all these reports around town of somebody meeting Tom's description with his clothes and his bike and giving his name, killing people and causing trouble, 
And word of that, of course, gets back to his old gang, who's now uh, being led by one of the girls who is a member of the gang. And Tom shows up at a little meeting of their group. And they think he, whoever he is, is the guy who's been causing trouble and stole Tom's bike and all this. And one of them actually tries to stab the guy and succeeds. But it's Tom, and he can't be hurt, and he tells them all about the wonderful discovery he's made. Which is another interesting thing, because as we pointed out earlier, there was this contract with some greater evil power that is part of what is implied to have given Tom this ability. But then it's apparently something he can transfer to others. So does that mean he's making them party to whatever this is? Or does this mean that the... The contract was just an exchange for the information of that this is doable and that he is now distributing that via his own volition freely. At which point, if it's the second, they are very, very happy that some of these people they like made fly through their own windshields didn't die with this absolute certainty he's going to come back and kick all their butts for doing that to him. <laughs> I think you've just given us the plot of Psychomania 2. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they weren't direct... They were directly involved in the that deal, so maybe it was just a deal for information, and he was charismatic enough to convey this information convincingly to his uh, gang. Wait, wait, an elaborate British plot to obtain information from people? I'm starting to like this better. Someone, <laughs> get, someone get me the giant white ball to capture all these hooligans, though. So they all need to have numbers now? Yeah, exactly. We can do that. I like it. So you can imagine what happens when this biker gang learns the secret of coming back to life with superpowers and being strong and invincible. They all set about to follow Tom's example and kill themselves to gain this undead eternal life. Creative death montage? Yeah, there's and and there's there's something almost Benny Hillish about yeah. this bizarre montage. It just needs a little ch- bit of a change in music. And that's what's partially is so horrifying about it, is this upbeat way that it goes about this very dark event. Right. They find strange and jokey ways to portray this, which is, is unsettling in, a lot, in, in its own right. Yeah, I'm, I am not a person who usually likes this topic, so I was, I was oscillating very quickly between being very, very bothered in my chair about this and, like, really, really almost laughing, questioning, like, how is the guy strapping cinder blocks to himself, expecting to be able to get back out of the river once he's not dead anymore? There's like, I'm I'm laughing and completely unsettled in a deep, deep core way. And that combination is not something I expected. Yeah, and that's the way in which, although I, between spooky and scary, I'd put this in the category of scary, but it is more just, troubling and unsettling more than it's eliciting a genuine fear response yeah there's no jump scares there's no no moment where this there's a couple of quick edits of surprise but nothing that is camera directed in that sense right and that's nice i appreciate that that feels almost respectful to its audience to not go for something so cheap but at the same time it, it it treats its topic with a a cheapness in a different sense, and that bothers me. Yeah, that, that that is one of the most troubling things about the whole movie. But but most of the gang succeeds in their mission. 
One of them, we learn from conversation, from dialogue, didn't make it. He must. He didn't come back. He must not have believed enough when he killed himself. And Abby, who was Tom's girlfriend, who was seemed like the most normal and well-adjusted member of the uh, the biker gang. She would go along with their crimes and casual homicide and things, apparently, but not the most enthusiastic about them. That's not really saying a whole lot. But she was also the one who couldn't stay out too late because she had to help her mother with the groceries the next day, that kind of thing. And she, after resisting, she lets Tom talk her into following this plan. But then we find out that she, like, tried, but didn't really want to die, and fortunately didn't succeed in killing herself. So she's in the hospital for a little while, but she's survived. And she's decided, no, she wants no part of this anymore. And this is the part where she changes sides. And instead of being with the bikers who are going around and getting more and more violent and disruptive with the townsfolk, she starts ratting them out and helping our police and our local like morgue and mortician and like these people who are attempting to keep the town stable. Right. We do have the police getting involved investigating this. They don't believe any of the undead stuff. Uh, until they kind of start maybe believing it. Well, it's it's when it's when their morgue is emptied because everyone walks out and kills the mortician on his way right. on their that, way. That definitely kind of cinches it. Yeah. So they decide to use Abby as bait and let it be known that she did die, figuring Tom would come back to come to the morgue to welcome her back, and that doesn't go very well. Yeah. And meanwhile, her uh, Tom's mother is very, very distressed about what has happened and all the trouble Tom is causing and how he has abused this information and this power that she's given to him and how much trouble he's causing. And right as, like, we're getting to the end of the movie here story-wise, but right as the big confrontation between the bikers all surrounding her and our did-not-die-and-switched-sides actual protagonist at this point, the girlfriend, that's the moment where the mom decides to break her end of the contract and end the power. And I think it's worth mentioning a little bit more about the mom, because when you think about it, we haven't seen the mom do anything antisocial or violent or even evil. She... Maybe they they seem to be well off. They're not enormously rich, but they seem reasonably well off. I don't know that they weren't already by the time she made this deal with the devil when Tom was an infant. But she seems to spend her time giving what seem like legitimate and functional seances to let people talk to their dead children and and yeah and relatives and doing so for no money just for the fulfillment of assisting people with this power. So it, there, there's a weird bit at the very beginning where she, where she's introduced giving a seance and being overdubbed by a small child. Oh, that was good. It, that's a, that's a very good scene. Actually. That's probably the, that is simultaneously one of the least intensive, but best executed special effects in the entire movie. Right. Just a little bit of acting as she's lip syncing this dialogue from a child actor who's, who's speaking for the the child who's on the other side and the voice and the other characters reactions it was 
It was chilling, but it didn't necessarily seem that dark. No, it felt... Because they were just getting a chance to speak with and say goodbye to their child who had passed away. I have to go now. Goodbye, Mummy. Bye, darling. Daddy. Goodbye, Susie. Granny. Goodbye, loving. Grandfather. Goodbye, baby. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Are you all right, Mrs. Latham? And there's this very bit right a weird bit right after where these people are insisting on paying her, and the butler is like, "No, should we take no payment? Just leave." And then they like open up a box to present the thing they were wanting to give her, and it's this like gem encrusted gold cross. And immediately the reaction is even more of a, "No, close that. Get out of here. No, you're never allowed back." Ah, like. Yeah, that was a great first indication that something weird is happening. That, and then soon after that, and this is all near the beginning of the movie, that bit with the cross, and then Tom asking Shadwell, you know, why do you never seem to age, and what's in that locked room? Those are those great hints at the beginning. There's something weirder here than we know. I like the way they built that slowly. Oh, yeah. And actually, we're moving all around here, story-wise, because we kind of return to the house on this. The locked room scene itself is very fun, where he's finally allowed into the locked room. And it's this whole thing of, like, entering a room and turning around and the door is gone. And there's fog and impossible, like, turns within this one room's walls. And a mirror that's then showing him the past and, like... He's falling over, passing out, and finding his father's glasses in there. And there's this whole thing that doesn't go as much of where you'd expect it to. But it's just a fun little haunted house bit in that sense. Right. It is just creepy and eerie enough and, and, and um, disorienting enough with the way it's shot. And so we keep cutting back to this house all throughout this. And the mom getting more worried, being asked by the police about what's going on with her son. And having this, I don't know, he's... he's I mean, he is a troublemaker, but he's usually a nice boy, and uh, meeting the girlfriend, and, uh, oh, you seem very lovely, I'm kind of surprised my, my boy is dating you, kind of. Very nice home environment bits right. that all have this slight, odd undercurrent, but nothing bad or negative in that sense. Yeah, and so I do wonder a little bit, what was it that she was getting out of the deal with the devil? Yeah, well, I, I apparently it included the power to provide pro bono seances. Apparently, it gave this knowledge of how to die and come back, and maybe that was the key. And it's—I don't know if it's ever absolutely clear whether she had ever taken that step. Maybe she and Shadwell were both undead. But they just didn't abuse it. They just did it to live forever and be comfortable. Yeah, it's not clear. Although, I got the impression Shadwell wasn't supposed to be human. I wonder if he was, maybe he was an attendant who came along with the deal, both to be a servant and also to make sure she stayed in line. But yeah, they they have this very nice house and everything, and it it seems like it kind of, she treated it for stability. I wonder. There's a metaphor there, I suppose. Too. Yeah, there's a... Hey. But, um, but yeah, she's not happy with what's going on. So, as you... Going back to the end of the movie, there's this confrontation. Of course, it's at the Seven Witches, inside this standing stone circle. 
and Tom is giving Abby a choice, and he's got a gun there. Either she can kill herself believing she'll come back, and she can come back and be with him forever, or he'll kill her and she won't come back. Uh, Shot if you do, shot if you don't. Right. Not great. And during that same moment, the mom and Shadwell take the frog he caught at the beginning as part of a a ritual to break this thing that involves, like, grabbing a sword and getting hit by green lightning. Yeah, and, Shad- and like, all the, all the candles in the room going out and this, this, this fun kind of generic event kind of thing they've got going on in there. Yeah, creepy spell kind of thing. And, uh, and Shadwell makes sure she understands, you know, you made a contract. If you break that contract, you know the consequences and you know that those consequences are for all eternity and she says yes and she gets zapped and in her place where she'd been sitting is a frog one of those little frogs that were found before right oh and you mentioned the mirror at the beginning of the visions that tom had in the mirror in the locked room we see this frog god image as well oh yeah but yeah, she breaks the contract, even though it means she's now going to be a frog for all eternity. But that also strips Tom of his power, apparently. Which is what makes me think that it there was magical power involved in this coming back from the dead process. Because breaking the contract rem- uh, uh, um, punished those who had used that power. Mm-hmm. Because he and all the other bikers turn to stone. In a very, very cool effect, this, you know, m- you know, masking of them from the background and then slowly dissolve fading uh, this, these stone sculptures they have into the same place. It's very, that's, an, that's the other really well done special effect here. It was, and that's an example of some of those old special effects done with mass mats and masking and things that it doesn't look naturalistic the way a lot of CGI can. But because it doesn't look naturalistic, it looks more otherworldly and weird and magical. And I think you can get more mileage out of portraying magic with some of those old special effects than you can by making crystal clear magical things happen around Doctor Strange with CGI. In some ways, nowadays, we've got... I mean, when the CGI started out, it looked really cool, as we've seen in the other stuff, but there was a, an artificiality to it. And then we've polished that artificiality out to make these more realistic, more invisible CGI edits. But it'd be kind of cool to see some people go back to the original ways they were doing stuff before CGI. Or find a way to take your CGI and learn what made these other things look so interesting and see what you can do with CGI as itself or in mimicry of those other things and give us some of that kind of tactility of effect back right i think if it's magical it it needs to look otherworldly like this did or like some of the stop motion in the uh the ray harryhausen uh sinbad movie looks weird and alien because of that I, i like that kind of special effect getting way off track here one of the few really recent depictions of something magical that seemed that weird and otherworldly was in the anime Madoka Magica. 
Oh, yeah, that was fun. weird montage background magic stuff. This was not of this world, and it made a great impression. And that is in some ways replicating that physicality of those cut paper pieces. This is the, you can see the edges of where the mat is in some ways because of the way they cut it. But because of that, it looks targeted. Right, there's a magical field around this guy as he is turned to stone. There is something grasping him in that sense. In reality, it's the mat keeping it around him but that mat becomes almost a hand of something from outside and that is the cool thing of it now i want to remind you of something yes when i was 11 or 12 the first thing i saw of this movie was the end of the movie so you saw them being transformed with the magical ritual that turned the lady into a frog and the Bizarre magical effect as the murderous bikers get turned into standing stones. That made this impression on me. Like, I have never seen anything like this on this TV. What on earth is my dad watching? And later on remembering and saying, that was a movie. I've got to find that movie. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, we, it kind of all comes around those, that the end of that movie is such a great payoff that it makes some of the lame weirdness earlier on in the movie almost worth it. That is the weird thing. That brings that brings a movie that I was very uncertain of to a satisfying close in terms of visual experience. In terms of topic, communication, story beats, everything, it's a little bit of a... I mean, it is literally the final explanation of a wizard, does it? But at the same time, that's like, (laughs) I can work with that. This is a story that has a lot of avenues it could travel and doesn't travel them all, but it tells the story it's trying to tell in that sense, I guess. Well, I think this might be getting us around to our final questions. Yeah. So, for a movie, the first question, screen or no screen, should people watch this movie? For all of those fun little bits, the act of watching this movie is a lot of sitting through people you you hate a lot, doing things in long cuts that you're not as happy with. I'm going to actually say don't screen. Go find yourself some clips of these really good moments, but I don't think the the rest of it's something you want to sit through. Yeah, gosh, this is one of the tougher ones because obviously it made an impression on me and I sought it out and I've watched it a few times since I found it. Every time I watch it, I'm cringing, and I'm thinking, why am I watching this? This is terrible. (laughs) And then a week or three after I've watched it, I think, there were a lot of cool things about that movie, and it was so weird. I think maybe I need to watch that again. This is like the hot dog from that cart that comes around your workplace every once in a while or something. You'll, You'll have one of them, and you'll say, this isn't great. But then you think about it later when you're not, when it's not there, and you're like, Maybe it was, maybe I should try that again. I'm remembering that. Oh, hey. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give a, uh, a cautious, go ahead and screen, watch this. If, if anything about our description sounded interesting to you, and if nothing about our description really caused you concern and turned you off of it, and especially if you have an interest in that kind of weird fiction that I related it to earlier, 
yeah, I think it's worth watching this at least once. And you can skip through the, some of the uh, drawn-out parts like terrorizing the shopping plaza and such and still get the good parts of the movie. So screen, know what you're getting into, maybe have the fast-forward button ready. Yeah. This is, this is a make-your-own-edit kind of movie right. if you do screen it then. So then our second question, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Oh, I'm gonna say, ooh, I've got to say, I've got a weird one on this. Yeah. And I'm gonna step back for a moment and say, there was something that this reminded me of the entire way through, both in terms of style of videography, type of story, and everything. And I kept on thinking this in the back of my head of the, you know what, I really think this would make a better blank than a movie. I kept on thinking that this would be a great FMV video game. I am a huge fan, a huge fan of these point-and-click adventure, cheesy acting, full-motion video games that came from this kind of era of computer game experimentation. And there's plenty of things that attempt to recreate or advance that storytelling style, but they all have this fun with a little bit of special effects here and a slightly dragged out plot there and some odd characters with quirks that you can go talk to in different segments. And I kept on thinking, this would fit that very well. The house you return back to as a home base, the town you explore. I kind of want to play this as a story where you're going around as a, a police person or someone not in the gang, attempting to, like, hunt down this gang of now undead people and learning the mystery that way and finally, like, helping set up that final confrontation and convincing the mom and such. I'm gonna say reboot. I want it to be in this other genre, though, of media because I think it would fit that better and let it play around with some of its questions in space more. I think that is really interesting, and I think you're right that this could be very well suited to that medium. I cannot imagine anybody making this as an FMV game without making the player character a member of the gang. Oh, really? Because that's where all the action is. You'd have to change it so much to give any action at all to the police other than just showing up after the fact and finding out, oh, this was weird, what can I learn from it? I don't know. Having like a, a, a slightly occult ready police officer who's pulled in on the case when they realize they're in over their heads as their main character and kind of drag, bring up the story and bring it into a larger scope doing that, maybe? Okay, yeah, I guess maybe you could. Maybe I'm being, uh, I'm being influenced by the fact that in this movie the police were so ineffectual oh they were highly highly ineffectual in the actual movie but i guess if you if you made put this somewhere with a more of a police department and more resources and a, a smarter um more directed ready to believe the weirdness police in, uh, inspector then uh, yeah, yeah maybe that could work i still think that they'd be likely to make the player character a member of the gang but it would be nicer for them not to be for a number of reasons. Yeah. This this definitely has some some awkwardness, especially just following them, but if you give someone agency as one of them, there's even more to it. Right. Yeah, that that is that is troubling. I don't think I'd like that to be a game. 
But investigating it, that's a different story. So, what's your take? Um, revive, reboot, or rest in peace? Yep. I'm I'm going to have to say rest in peace. I I almost want to say revive because I would be fascinated by a story set say of today. You know, uh, uh, more than a generation later, some you know, local English archaeologist who's investigating these stones and, you know, there are great records in this town, but for the longest time it was described and mapped as just these seven stones, and but there are now these other stones there that happened sometime in the early 70s and starts investigating this weird black magic cult that existed in this town. You could tell a story in the same continuity with some of the same creepiness, without getting into the whole suicide and death angle necessarily. So, I, you know, I was going to say rest in peace because it was a product of its time, but I think I've talked myself into um, uh, a revive, and I want to see a much later in time sequel, which is weird for a movie that I'm really not necessarily suggesting people watch. But, uh, but yeah, that would be interesting. So there you have it. That's our dis- discussion of, of one of the stranger things that we have talked about on this podcast. One of the stranger things we might ever talk about, but I'm never, never going to say never. And, uh, this one definitely, this one definitely has a, a place for a long time, I would hope or think in terms of how creepy it will get in part because it is the season of such things right now. So this that's is when we're right. getting this done. Right, so everybody have happy Halloweens. I hope you enjoy the spookiness and the scariness. And we will be back in a few weeks with uh, with more talk of media from way back in the 20th century. In the meantime, Ian, where can people find you? I'm available on Twitter as at itemcrafting or on Instagram as the same. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at by Matthew Porter. You can find me online at the website MatthewFPorter.com, and there you'll find links to other things I've done online. And you can find the uh, the podcast on Twitter at IMMPCast, and you can find us online at IMMProject.com, www.IMMProject.com. And there you can find all of our past episodes, you can find um, information about our Patreon. You can find information about our Discord, Discord, which is up and running and ready for discussion of this movie and any other old media weirdness you'd like to talk about. You want to come talk with uh, Matt about other shows he's going to show me uh, that we've got an option for the patrons to be able to do that. If you want to just chat about the episodes we have seen and such or shows that impacted you, we've got slots for that. And there's even uh, sections where you can show off your thoughts on other projects that you're currently watching. Or, I mean, in the general chat, you could also just tell me all about how point-and-click adventure games don't do much. So, yeah. <laughs> But that's a good point. Yeah, uh, Supporters on Patreon get access to special parts of the, uh, the Discord. But everybody who listens, please uh, come, uh, come by, join us. And like I said, you can find the link to that Discord at www.immproject.com. So thank you for listening. We hope you'll uh, download our next episode as well. And we'll be back soon. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.